Now Paul goes very specifically into why God is for us. If God is for us, who can be against us, Paul said. And now he gives a very specific reason which helps us to understand what he was referring to when he said, What then shall we say to these things? What things? Well, the things he's previously talked about, the salvation in Jesus Christ, the fact that Christ is our righteousness, the fact that we are reckoned as righteous in his goodness, the fact that Jesus was given to us as our sacrifice for the sins of the world. Now, this is going to be very specifically stated by Paul in the verse we look at today, and we'll consider it. So, listen in, Colin Cook here, and how it happens. Thanks for joining me today. You're listening to the good news of the gospel. This broadcast deals with good news. Uh, Some people think we ought to deal with warnings. Well, I would, I deal with all the warnings that Paul gives in the book of Romans. Um, But we have sufficient warnings all around us. We need some good news, don't we? And the good news that God is for us. I encourage you to listen to this program every Monday through Friday, 10 o'clock in the evening, repeated at 4 in the morning on KLTT AM 670 in the Denver and Colorado and surrounding states areas. But if those times don't suit you, you can listen any time of the day or night on your smartphone or other remote device. Simply uh, key in... uh, soundcloud.com forward slash faithquest soundcloud.com slash faithquest or go uh, download the free app soundcloud.com and then key in how it happens with Colin Cook when you get there. You can also hear the program on uh, uh, podbean.com download that or go to faithquest.podbean.com So we're looking at this glorious passage. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And we were wondering what these things were about that Paul was talking about. We reviewed uh, the uh, past chapters in order to get uh, some idea of what he's referring to. But now we get it very specifically in the next verse. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And so Paul, without reserve, constantly goes back to the reality of Jesus Christ, to the fact that Jesus Christ is a gift to all humanity, to the fact that in him we are saved. Now you remember Isaiah 53, don't you? You remember that uh, the writer there, the uh, prophet Isaiah, says in verse 1, who has believed our report? In other words, who would believe the methodology, the compassion, the love, the great plan that God had in giving his son? Who would believe that? To Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, and then referring to the gift that God was about to give, He grew up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He had no form or comeliness. And when we see him, 
There is no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, um, God, uh, Isaiah is saying that God didn't make a big flourish about all this and uh, bring Jesus as king of the world, sitting on a glorious throne, coming with his angels. That's the second coming of Christ. But the first coming of Christ was very, very ordinary, uh, so ordinary that people missed it, didn't notice it. And then jumping ahead to his uh, adult life, Isaiah says he is despised and rejected by men. They just looked upon him as somebody ordinary and contemptible and somebody who was a little bit cocky because he was claiming to be the Messiah and that everybody must believe in him. Well, who is this upstart, people thought? A man of sorrows he was and acquainted with grief. Why? Because so many rejected him, so many ridiculed him and thought of him as a a nobody who was making uh, a big display. He was despised. We didn't esteem him. In fact, when we saw him die, um, we thought that it was God who was punishing him. Uh, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs. Oh, my goodness. God is sending the Son of God, his own beloved Son, to carry our griefs, to bear them, to carry our sorrows. It's a mystery as to how this exactly works, but we trust, we Christians, in the fact that Jesus is carrying the griefs and sorrows that we go through so that in some way they do not have the effect of overwhelming us and killing us. But somehow, in God's glorious plan, those griefs and sorrows are turned into blessings. He was wounded for our transgressions. What? He was punished, wounded, stricken, crucified for our sins, our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That is to say, he got beaten up for our sins. The chastisement, the punishment for our peace that was in order to bring peace to us was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I mean, this chapter is utterly astonishing. There is no description of the meaning of the Uh, death and crucifixion of Jesus Christ in the New Testament that comes anywhere near to this description in the Old Testament. 800 years before Jesus came, this prophecy was given of him. And it enables us to truly appreciate God, our Father, to understand what he has given. If God is for us, what in the world can possibly be against us? Now, you know, it's handy, it's helpful to look at three reasons, rather three um, uh, things that God did through his Son for us. There are infinitely more, of course, but these three help us 
to understand what God has done. Jesus Christ's life on earth and crucifixion do three things for us. One, they reveal the love of God. Jesus Christ's death reveals how much God loves us, how far he is willing to go, all the way to sacrifice himself. Remember, God didn't stay up in heaven, as it were, while his son suffered down here on earth, because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. And what the, and and Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. So whatever the whole whatever Jesus experiences, he experiences he experiences it as the second person of the Godhead, as well as a man. And that means that what the second person of the Godhead experiences, so does the Father, who is also one of the Godhead. What Jesus experienced was fully known and suffered by God the Father. What manner of love God has bestowed upon us, and that in that he should call us sons of God, sons and daughters of God, because of what Christ has done. And so you and I, if we ever doubt God's love, if we ever wonder whether he's still working for us, what do we do? We look to Christ. We look to the Son. So, Jesus Christ's death and resurrection is an expression of the ineffable, of the endless love of God for humanity. Secondly, the death of Jesus Christ is an atonement for our sins. That is, his death and resurrection were a sacrifice, not simply an unfortunate incident, but a sacrifice, in other words, given on our behalf. They were a judgment. Jesus died not simply at the hands of Romans and Jewish people because it was an unfortunate accident and was not intended. No, it was very purposely intended by God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son as a sacrifice, you see, for the sins of the world. When you think of Jesus on the cross, you think of your own judgment taking place in him on our behalf so that we are released from judgment. We are released from the terror of the wrath of God against sin. Because Christ, and in effect, God himself, took our sacrifice for our sins. So, Jesus Christ's death and resurrection reveal the love of God and also reveal the judgment for our sins, the sacrifice, the atonement made for our sins. And so, what is the third thing that God, that the sacrifice of Christ means? And the, f the third thing is the victory of Christ over the forces of evil. Very often this truth is forgotten when we think about the death of Christ for the sins of the world. Jesus said that Satan had nothing in him. He lived a human life right through to death and suffering and sorrow and abandonment without 
yielding up to sin, without giving up and surrendering to the devil. He was the one human being that had no, that, that went through life and death without allowing Satan to enter the picture at all. Christ gained that victory on our behalf. It says in Colossians chapter 1 that he disarmed the principalities and powers, that is, the forces of Satan, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. You and I believe that Christ has gained victory over Satan. When we are tempted, when we are afraid, when we are uh, terrified that the world is just going to come tumbling down upon us and overwhelming us completely, we need to remember that Christ has gained the victory over the forces of evil so that they cannot harm us even though they strike us. This is such a wonderful truth. Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. So then, you see, when we think of what God's love and we ask ourselves, if God loves us, what can be against us and who can be against us? And then we ask ourselves, but how do I know that God loves us? Then we say the fact that he gave us the greatest gift of all, his own son. I'd appreciate it very much if you could help with the broadcast. This broadcast is listener-supported so that you, the listener who appreciates the program, uh, send sends a donation to help it keep going. The broadcast is now in its 25th year, thanks be to God and to you. Each program costs $39.00. Uh, that's for 15 minutes, and that's uh, $200 for a week's programs and about, well, what is it, 850 to $900 for a month's programs. If you would like to help, please send your donations to FaithQuest, P.O. Box 366, Littleton, Colorado, 80160. Or make your donation online at faithquestradio.com. Thanks so much. See you next time. Cheerio and God bless. <laughs> 